Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. The question, are you man enough? Are you man enough? And I think there are stereotypical thoughts of what a man should do or what he should act like. Uh, some of them are right on. Some of them are uh, pretty out there. You know, I think sometimes the stereotypical thoughts that we have don't really come from the Word of God. They come from uh, like a high school boy's locker room, unfortunately. Uh, I think there are stereotypical thoughts of what a man should be like that come from the women's perspective, and those tend to be chivalrous thoughts, and I think that those are probably more accurate of, of what men should be like. Um, oftentimes, it's the ideal or perfect man. Women, there is no perfect man out there. Deal with it. But as we, as we strive to look what the Scripture says, perhaps we might be able to look at what God is calling us to do, and we talk about do it yourself, and we apply it to our faith. Can you really do faith on your own, and we've, we've talked in the introduction of this series a little bit about how faith really isn't dependent on us. It's authored by God, perfected by Jesus, and yet there's a part in faith that you and I play. It's the part that God says, here's the commands I laid before you. Here's my character. Here's what, here's what you need to do, and then we act upon it. We act out of obedience and out of love, and that's the part that we're responsible for. So faith really is a partnership with God. He always does his part, and we just follow along and do our part. Paul addresses this in, in his writings, the Apostle Paul, and for our scripture today in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we'll land today. If you want to open your scripture or turn on your device, you can follow along in the U version, and most of the scriptures will be on the screen. At the end of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he gives kind of a final summary challenge to the church in Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul gives four interrelated commands regarding life. And here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And in all that, let all that you do be done in love. So that last phrase is sort of the parenthetical of everything that just came before it. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. So four commands to be man enough. First was be watchful. This idea of being on alert, sort of the idea he's writing in that day would be the sentry, the guy at the the gate, the guy on the tower who's watching for the enemy. Right, So this is idea of being alert, of, of guarding something, or being the guardian of something. And the, the way he uses the word is, is to keep on or continuously, actively do this. And for our purposes in spirituality, he's talking about discernment, spiritual sensitivity, watchfulness in your life. You have to keep your eyes open is kind of what he's, he's writing now, many of you, maybe you're a hunter, and yesterday the opening of rifle season found yourself uh, freezing your butt off, being a stupid man in the middle of nowhere, hoping a deer might wander across your path and you can shoot it. Um, I was just a stupid man freezing my butt off. I did none of the latter part of that. So I'm, standing, I'm sitting out there and watching, right? And so I'm in a, a blind, which is basically a little pup tent that I'm, I'm hiding from the deer. Shh, I'm going to sneak up on him. So I'm sitting there, I'm hoping they'll wander across my path, and I have just this little window that I can see out in front of me, and I'm hoping 
I'll spot something. I'm watching for movement. I'm listening. I'm alert. I'm trying not to fall asleep because it's really early in the morning. Now, I do have to preface this. About 5 a.m., when me and my hunting partner walked out in the woods, we, we stopped to get all our gear ready. He hands me a bottle of scent. I'll just say that. <laughs> Women, if you only knew what we sprayed on ourselves or around us to attract the, the deer, it's, it's ridiculous. But, it, you know, anything to give us the upper hand because we are man and, and we need to. So he hands me this bottle. I, I put it in my vest. I'm getting my gear. I shift something, and all of a sudden I hear this shh. And I, hold on, you're getting there before me. I thought there was a, like a safety nozzle on it. Apparently there wasn't. And so when I shifted, I heard this shh. Um, I'm looking. What is that noise? Shh. Scott, is that you? <gasps> I've just released this buck bomb in my pocket. So now I smell like one hot thing to some buck. <laughs> so, right, so I'm wandering through the woods uh, looking for a date, apparently. And so, so I'm in my blind and I'm thinking about this. And so as I'm, I'm being alert, I can only see out one window, I hear rustling and things walking around. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... I'm going to have relations with a buck. This is going to happen. Some buck's going to walk up behind me. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm really nervous that some buck's going to follow the trail and sneak up behind me, and, and we're going to meet uh, and, and, and greet each other. And so I, I know what squirrels sound like. I've kind of gotten used to that. They kind of rummage, and they stop, and they kind of, they kind of do this. And, well, I heard this thing slowly kind of walking up behind me in the leaves, and I got really, my, my heart is thumping. I'm thinking, I don't even know where to, which direction to shoot. The thing's going to jump on the tent. And, and <laughs> we haven't even met yet. And <laughs> so it was going to be an awkward first date. So I'm sitting there. I'm really nervous. My heart's thumping. I'm sweating. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. And after this turkey walks by, I was okay, right? But I was being watchful. I was told my senses were alert. I was listening. I was looking. Uh, I was doing everything I could to be ready uh, for that deer. And this is kind of what Paul is writing to the church. He's saying, be watchful. Be, be always ready and alert. And he's talking about it in a spiritual sense of being watchful. And so the question for us, men, is are we awake and alert? Chuck Swindoll says it this way. He says, are you guarding against erosion? Now, erosion, for most of us, we can see the effects of it. You know, you go to the Grand Canyon, you go to any sort of river, and you see where water has moved and things have eroded, and there's some sort of noticeable effect that it has. But oftentimes in our life, the only effects we see of erosion happen years after it has started. I love this picture that I found online of what they call a sinkhole, which is a type of erosion. And so there was a, a water main that had been leaking for years, and you can see that it had begun to swirl. And this is an actual picture uh, taken in, in a South American country, and this is what happens. The thing's about 50 feet uh, across. It's huge. It's one of the largest sinkholes ever. And this, unfortunately, happens when we don't guard our hearts, guard our eyes, guard our minds, guard our families, is erosion begins to happen. And you may not see it on the surface. In fact, you might have become very good at hiding it, maybe even convincing yourself that everything's okay. But eventually, the erosion 
makes itself known and in a devastating way. So what is happening when no one is looking and where no one is looking? Are you awake and alert? The imagery of Scripture about sin and about going your own way is pretty clear. We talked a couple weeks ago about Cain and Abel, the, the first brothers, and Cain kills Abel. And the Lord rebukes Cain, but in his rebuking, he says, I, you know, here, here's the options you have. And he says, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, and you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. Jesus says things like the enemy is, is a, a, a lion prowling, looking for whom he may devour. He refers to the enemy, Satan, as a thief, only here to kill, steal, and destroy. Are you awake and alert against such enemies? I think we need to guard ourselves in a, in a few ways. One, guarding our heart. Proverbs says this in four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The word heart in this context in the Hebrew is not just the emotional center of your life, but it's the center of your will, which controls your thoughts and your emotions. And so in, in guarding our heart, it's also guarding our thoughts. And so I ask myself, do, are there things in my life that I think I'm getting away with that are taking me sideways? Are there actions in my life that, that are eroding things underneath my character, my integrity. What about anger? Are there things in your life that are, you're harboring anger towards that are just building and building and you're not dealing with them in a healthy way, but perhaps at moments of exasperation you, you burst out inappropriately upon other people, maybe even your family? Are you harboring unforgiveness or bitterness, something that will erode you more than anything is unforgiveness towards others what about laziness oh you didn't see that one coming the the book of proverbs is full of thoughts about laziness and how a lazy man will will come to nothing and are you guarding your heart against this idea that i can just do nothing whether it's in your spiritual life or in your physical or family life what about questionable business practices are you guarding your heart and your your thoughts your actions against questionable business practice. Oh, well, you know, so many people do that in my business. It's pretty much acceptable. Lots of things are acceptable that, that are not right. Amen. And so are you living above reproach? Are you doing your work as unto God who knows and sees all? Or are you simply getting by and getting away with? What about lust? Pornography is an endemic in our society and in our world. We don't need to quote statistics, but are we being eroded from within by lust, by leaving the door open, unguarded areas of our thought lives? Are we on the edge with inappropriate relationships with women who are not your wife or whom you are not married to? And young men, even if you're not married, are you guarding against such relationships? second part is guarding your eyes. It's very closely with guarding your heart because the eyes open the door to our heart. 
The prophet Jeremiah says it this way, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look lustfully upon a woman. I like the thought that he was so intentional that he makes this covenant with his eyes. What does that look like for you? I use the term building fences. I feel like it's better to build a fence at the top of a cliff than have an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And so in your life, what do those fences look like? What kind of fences do you need to build in your life? For me, my wife has passwords to everything that's password protected. She has access to everything because I have nothing to hide, nor do I want any areas that I could hide something. What about you guys? The scary thing that I hear when women's, a woman asked me recently, why would my husband get a new phone and not give me his password? I, the tragedy is I had to tell her, your husband's doing something he doesn't want you to know about. He's probably cheating on you. Or he's entertaining those thoughts and he's moving that direction. That's the scary thing. So red alert, guys. Now I just gave away the secret. <laughs> Dang it, Pastor Jeremy. What fences are you building so you don't start walking down those paths, down those inappropriate relationships, down those thoughts? Are you guarding your eyes along with your thoughts and heart? And are you guarding your family? This is the idea of being watchful. Who's guarding the gate? Who's the guy in the watchtower watching so your family is not a victim of the enemy, Satan? Both spiritually and physically, how are you guarding your house? What are you allowing into your house? One of the doors that often is left open is called the television, called the internet. What are you doing in your house to guard your family? The second part, as Paul unfolds these four commands, he says, be watchful. And then he says, stand firm. The idea of the stand firm is steadfastness of belief and behavior steadfastness of belief and behavior it was sort of an idea of standing against something that was pushing and we certainly live in a time and in a culture that pushes against our belief and our behavior especially those of the christian faith and we can cry and moan and we can fight against culture and government and people and but we would do well to start in our own lives, to stand against our own desires and temptations before we start looking at everything that's coming from outside of us. And Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. He was saying, stand against false teachers and false uh, beliefs, false teachings. And certainly we could say that what our culture teaches and its values and beliefs, really that there are no good values or beliefs. Do whatever you want. Certainly we need to stand against that in our own lives. And this isn't warring a culture war. It's simply believing and behaving first and foremost in my own life. Oftentimes we want to raise the banner of a certain cause before we're willing to really examine our own lives and fight for it in our own lives. So we would do well, church, to first and foremost fight for your own marriage. Before you fight against marriage anywhere else, fight for your own. Make yours the best representation of Christ and what true marriage is supposed to be about before we stand against anybody else. Live your marriage to the fullest. One of the uh, Apostle Paul's most quoted statements in his writings is this idea of standing firm. It's knowledge and obedience 
They're not divorced from each other. It's knowledge and obedience. To walk in integrity gives you the ability to stand firm against that which is pushing against you. And I like how one of the commentaries I was reading this week kind of ties together. Again, these are four interrelated commands. They're not to be taken separately. And this does well to tie in standing firm with the next phrase, act like a man. It says, act the manly, firm, and resolved part. Behave strenuously in opposition to the bad men who would divide or corrupt you, those who would split you into factions or seduce you from the faith. Be not terrified nor inveigled by them, but show yourselves men in Christ by your steadiness, by your sound judgment and firm resolution. He goes on to say, Note, Christians should be manly and firm in all their contests with their enemies, in defending their faith and maintaining their integrity. Again, this is sort of the idea of the interrelatedness of standing firm because in order to stand firm in beliefs, there is a, a part that has to be strong and courageous. And that takes us into the third thing where he says, act like men. Act like men. Some translations will say, be men or be people of courage. And yet, I think in some regards, it takes away this uh, idea that he was trying to make when he said, act like men. It's a dramatic verb stressing masculinity. I believe Paul had in his mind the idea of a, a Roman soldier, a warrior. And so when he's saying, act like men, I'm sure it was in regards to, maybe in their day, a stereotypical man. Act like men would be strong and courageous, someone who could do the very thing he's saying, to stand against something that was coming against. Really, he is saying, show oneself to be strong, to be a man of strength. Oftentimes, we, in our culture, we see physical strength, but we don't value spiritual strength. And Paul was saying this is, this is the very th- essence of it, is spiritual strength. It's spiritual maturity. It's maturity that makes a man a man. It's not the physical stature. It's the maturity that makes a man. Paul, in fact, writes uh, of this kind of maturity in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you might recognize the passage, 1 Corinthians 13, as sort of the, the love chapter, right? That's quoted at weddings and things like that. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. And what Paul is describing is maturity in faith, and a maturity in faith understands love, and then he describes how love looks. What does it look like beyond the emotions of it all? It's kind it's gentle it doesn't boast it's not proud it doesn't keep records of wrong and he moves into verse 11 and 12 something that i think we oftentimes overlook and he says this when i was a child i spoke like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child but when i became a man i gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i have been fully known so we talk about Acting like men, I think there are four things to, to act like a man or to man up. Speak up, grow up, give up, and look up. I'm going to cover these fairly quickly. So speak up. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Paul is talking, in fact, about speech, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's talking about our speech. 
Ephesians chapter 4, 14 and 15 says this. We'll no longer be to- tossed, by inf- uh, tossed by infants. That would be funny. <laughs> then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Again, he's talking about spiritual maturity. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so in talking about speech, about maturity, he says there is a time to speak up. And then let's break that down. I think there are three ways we can speak up. I put it at the bottom here. Build up, fess up, and step up. Okay, that's a lot of ups. Take notes fast. All right, here we go. Build up, fess up, step up. This is the idea of speak, speaking truth in love. And I know for some of you who've grown up in church, when someone says, well, you know, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, you know you're about to be insulted or something, you're about to be criticized for something. So we do not, and I'll say it this way, speaking the truth in love means the two are shackled together. We don't speak outside of that. And so in speaking up, we build up, or I should say, we have the opportunity to build up. Scripture tells us that words have the power to bring life and death. It's the power to create. You go back to the beginning in Genesis. God speaks things into existence, and he gives that same power to co-create to man. He gives that power, power of speech to man. Words have the power to create. Some of these words you speak to yourself, men. And some of those things that you speak to yourself are nothing but lies. You speak lies to yourself and you create this own world where you believe you can't be caught, that you know better, that no one's smarter than you, that you can hide things in your life. You're believing the words that you're telling yourself. Examine that. What are you telling yourself? What lies have you told yourself? What about the words that you physically speak, how you speak to your children, how you speak to your wife, how you speak to your coworkers, your roommates. What kind of words are you using? Are you harsh? There's a difference when we speak life and when we speak death. Many times as a pastor, I'll be having a conversation with, with somebody who doesn't know me, and in their speech, they'll be using cuss words, right? So we'll be having a, have a conversation and they'll just be free-flowing with, with their language, and, which is totally fine. I'm not offended. And then usually the question will go, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> okay. I'm a pastor. and I, just, I prepare myself for the reaction. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I wouldn't have cussed in front of you. Okay. All right. Thanks for that consideration. Cuss when I turn my back. <laughs> Honestly, I have, I, I, I feel like sometimes as Christian, we're like the, the, the word police, you know. Um, I grew up in a church where it was like every word was examined, and if you said, oh, shoot, well, you, what you really meant was the other H word, or if you said, oh, gosh, you really meant to say, oh, God, and you were taking the Lord's name in vain, and I didn't know God's name was actually God, but okay, we'll go, we'll take that. And we'll have that conversation. We make this big deal about these words. And I'm, oftentimes I've heard, heard it, it say, I had a, a gentleman say to me one time, well, I don't know if I can become a Christian yet because I still cuss. And I thought, oh, dear God, what 
have we done as a Christian culture that people can't come to Jesus simply because their language hasn't been cleaned up yet. God can redeem language. I heard a man once say to me, he said, uh, you know, I got saved a week ago, and he said, God cleaned up my language. Only God has the power to change language. And so I want to put that out there. Not that we should be cussing. Kids don't go home and say, Pastor Jeremy said it's totally cool to curse or to cuss. No, it's not. I didn't say that. But God can change that. God can work in that. But there's a difference in cussing. I, you know, I remember cussing as a kid. I did it once in front of my dad. It was the only time it ever happened. <laughs> I didn't need a second time. I, I, I've, I've heard my kids make references to cuss words. Dad, did you know they said the S word? What's the S word? I didn't know what, how they knew that word. So I asked them, what's the S word? Shut up. <laughs> oh. We say stuff like, we don't use that word in our house, and it's okay. But there's a difference between cussing and cursing. I've been cursed by people who've never used a cuss word. They've spoken things, tried to speak things into my heart and my life that are more damaging than a cuss word ever would be. I find myself walking away from those conversations like, oh, don't speak that. It's all over me. I don't want that. You know, I like, feel like I have to go take a shower after having, uh, having a conversation with that person because the curses were flowing out of their mouth. Christians can be like this sometimes. We have to be careful in our own words as Christians, as dads, as single men, single women, that our words are not cursing someone. Those of you who know the power of curse, you've probably heard things like, you'll never amount to anything. There's not a curse word in that, or a cuss word in that, but you've cursed someone with those words. Be careful. Sometimes Christians, we like to, we like to put our curses real nicely, and we start them by like saying, I have a prayer request. You know, we, we frame it well, but perhaps we would do better not to curse at all. So let's build up with our words. Men, build people up. Be men of encouragement. Everybody wants to be around that person, right? You know that person at work. Guy or gal, they're always encouraging. There are some of you in this church that have the gift of encouragement. No matter how I'm feeling, I know when I see you, you're going to speak life into my life. Man, I want to be around you. Well, we won't go the other place. The second thing in speaking up is fessing up. There's power in confession. There's power in confession. This is the ability to recognize your faults, right? It's agreeing with God what he already knows about you, right? Did you know that? And so some of us confess in private in our prayer time, which is good. There's a good habit to be developed there in confessing to God, God, I did this. He says, I already know that. Okay, good. I want forgiveness granted. Okay, good. We keep moving on. But there's power in confessing sins one to another as the book of James challenges us to do so. And in that, there, there is a, a freeness that comes from that act. Men, is there a, another man, a godly spiritual man in your life that you confess things to? A trusted guy in your life? I tell you, there, there's not a man in my life who's gotten to any uh, amount of success in any area of life that hasn't had that sort of godly uh, person in his life that he's able to confess to. Because there's power when you 
confess something out loud to someone else and you've given them the authority to speak life back into you and hold you accountable, this is that person in your life that if you confess things, they have the power to smack you. That's good. You need that kind of person in your life. It's a sign of strength and will definitely strengthen your life. Who do you confess to? Who is that person in your life? The third part of speaking up is the ability to step up. It's this idea of confrontation. It's more than just picking a fight. Most men that I know aren't looking to just start fights. But there are moments when you're confronted with issues that you have to fight against. And this might be in your own life. What are you willing to fight for? Have you looked at the finances, single guys or married guys, and, and come to the point where you said, look, I, I gave way too much money to Hy-Vee this month or to McDonald's or Wendy's. It just came in down the road, and I can't, it's just right there. It's temptation at my doorstep. <laughs> but have you looked at it and sat down, maybe sit down with your wife and say, we need to give more to God this month than we did to the grocery bill or give more to God than we did to the visa bill this month? Are you having those kind of tough conversations where you're not blame shifting, honey, that's your 30th pair of shoes, but you're having this, this philosophy talk of this is what I believe and this is how I want to lead our family. Amen. You have the confrontation talks about what, are, what you're watching in your house and how, how you will treat people starting with your own words and your own actions. At some point, there has to be someone in the family or in your life, and hopefully it's you, that says No. that has that sort of confrontation speech that says, this is, we're not going to go there anymore. I was taking the family for a walk one time in, in a neighborhood near ours, and as we were walking, we could see these dogs up in the yard, and they saw us, and as we got closer, they left the door stoop that they were on, and it was a lab and a German shepherd, and they came barreling at us, barking as loud as can be, and everybody kind of stopped, and I thought, uh... There's two dogs. What am I going to do? And as they kept coming, I knew at some point, I'm, I'm sort of in the back of the family here, and I, in that split second, I knew I had to do something. So I ran up in front of the kids, and just as I got the word, I literally put my hand out like this, and I was thinking, I'm going to have to punch one of these guys in the throat at some point. <laughs> and I was yelling, no! as loud as I could, in the middle of the neighborhood, and just as I was doing this yelling no, they stopped. And I was like, whoa, that's right. <laughs> Do you see that? It was that, in that moment that I realized they had an invisible fence. Um, it was powerful, powerful moment. <laughs> but I didn't know there was an invisible fence there. But I knew if something was going to happen, I was going to stand between me and my family, and I was going to tell these dogs to stop. So I simply stood up and said, no. I used my man voice, no. <laughs> At some point, men, in your life, you have to, with your speech, confront issues, whether in your family or in your own personal life, or even in our culture and in our community, to say, no, it's not right it must not happen. Speak words of life that create. Speak words of confession that bring freedom. Speak words that confront, that cause 
greater life to happen. After Paul says to speak up, to change your speech, he says, change your thinking, grow up. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Many of us are caught in what I would call a spiritual puberty. Do you remember puberty? (laughs) What a great time. (laughs) It was awesome. That awkwardness where you really didn't know how to become a man, but you wanted to get there, and you thought, maybe if I dress this way, and if I use a certain cologne, and use deodorant, and like my story, if I started shaving, then I'd be a man. We're just kind of stuck in a spiritual puberty, and part of it is because we've sort of just resigned and thought, well, I'll grow spiritually just because I show up on a Sunday morning, or, you know, I, I do these little things that not, aren't really intentional. And we're stuck in a spiritual puberty, Paul addresses this issue in 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, actually 14 through 16. He says, The person without spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. He can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. But he says, The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, and such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. He says, my, he's writing and saying, look, when, when I wasn't following Christ, I didn't get this. It seemed foolishness. And he would know because he was Saul. He was the guy persecuting the church, killing Christians. But he says, when I changed, when, when Christ came into my life and changed me, my thinking changed. And now I have the mind of Christ. Men, our reasonings have to change. Our thinking has to change. It only comes through a renewed mind as the scriptures write that only come through scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I like the way Stephen Furtick says it. He calls it depth perception, that we understand that our thinking and then our actions have great consequences, that they stretch far beyond our ability to understand. And men with depth depth perception understand that their thinking affects their actions. Their actions affect everyone around them. And that affects generations. I've had multiple conversations throughout my years as a pastor about generational curses mentioned in the Scripture. And my only response to that thought of generational curses is that they are curses as long as there is no one who is willing to stand up against the pattern of behavior and thought. And as soon as you stand up against the pattern of behavior and thought, you break it. In my family, it was alcoholism. A great-grandfather who stumbled into a church and gave his heart to Christ, walked out sober, literally, changed generations of his family. Unfortunately for some of you, that pattern of behavior has continued generation after generation because no one has stood up and said, no, enough, it stops with me. Men, what about you? What is it in you or in your family? Remember, you are not your DNA. You are not, as much as we say, we're born this way with certain tendencies, with certain behaviors. It's called the sin nature. And it can stop with you. Thank you. It's the word of God. And if it's anger, deal with it. Learn how to deal with it. I know for me, I live an intense life. That at times in moments of complete tiredness, there are outbursts of temper. What about you? Can you live an intense life with self-control? Because what we are, you know, here's the thing. When my daughter slams the door and I say, hey, don't slam the door. Who taught you how to do that? 
Oh, yeah, that was me. That gets passed on. And when you start thinking about how your grandkids are going to follow after your behavior, you start thinking, huh. When your own kids say the word crap, you suddenly go, wow, that's not as cool of a word as I thought it was. Right? I mean, they start displaying your speech and behavior, and you go, oh, man, I don't want them to talk like that or sound like that or act like that. But what are you passing down in your temper, in your temptations, and in your tendencies? Realize the things that you think no one knows about, your kids are still going to follow in those footsteps because you have sown spiritual seeds. Some of you men, you need to understand the consequences of your actions don't, uh, will go beyond who finds out about it. It's not too late. I want to teach my kids to be intense in their life, to follow passionately, but I want to teach them self-control, humility, and grace. Paul goes on to say not only to speak up and to grow up, but he says give up. If you're going to grow up, you have to give up something. He says when I was a child, when I became a man, I had to give up childish ways. I had to give up childish ways. A child wants what they want, and when they don't get what they want, what do they do? They throw a fit. Everybody's going to know, I didn't get my way. And men, do we, do we act like that? Have, have we built in our lives this idea that we can have it all? Well, I can have my marriage, and I can still act like a single guy. That's a tough place to put your wife. How do you spend your time, your money? Who gets your best? Who gets your best? And who gets your lasts and your leftovers? That's a, that's a tough one for me. I know, parents, you, you've experienced this, this giving up, this maturity, this growing up, because when you had kids, guess what you gave up? Sleep. There's a maturity there because suddenly you're giving something up because you're part of, this part of the maturing process of becoming a parent is giving up sleep. And some of you single moms, you give up showering. I understand the day goes from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And somehow you didn't get a shower in there because moms understand it's all about the kids. And days, there's single moms going, I know. And there's part of every stage of growing up, that we have to learn to give something up. Ben, would you come as we close this morning? Our ushers are going to prepare communion for us because this morning isn't just about a morality speech to do better, rah, rah. I think the answer to my question, are you man enough? I wrestled with that this week and asked the question, are you man enough to myself and realized I'm not man enough. There is not any part of me that is enough for what is required for this life. I'm just not man enough. The last part of Paul's writing says to look up. We see in a mirror, it's cloudy, it's dim. Understand that the mirror he's talking about is not the crystal clear, perfected image that we are able to see exactly. He's talking about shiny objects that you use for mirrors. Maybe it was a polished piece of steel or uh, some other reflective thing, but didn't give a good picture of the reflection. And even in this moment, we have a dim picture of ourselves, but even worse, we have a dim picture of God. We have these blurry images of God. and Sometimes we think ourselves better or worse than we really are. We're going to 
talk a little bit more about what that means next week as we look up to God to see who we are and, and who he is. But he closes by saying, be strong. Hold out strongly. It reinforces this idea of being a man. Every man should know how to kick down a door, right? This is my image of being a man. Every man knows how to kick down a door, right? This is on the Art of Manliness website, you know. It says, don't hit with your shoulder and don't do a flying kung fu kick. Just be a man and stick your foot into it. We call this the master key, right? Boom! That's the idea of being strong in my mind. And yet, Scripture paints a little bit different picture. You guys are like studying that picture right now, aren't you? Like, oh, I might need that tonight. (laughs) Be strong, it says. Be strong. But the question is, is whose strength are you standing in? And it's not about determination or resolutions or more effort. Surely there's a part that you play, but there is a part that we cannot do, and that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus was man enough. He was man enough, and he took our failures and our shortcomings, he took that to the cross with him and said, I'll take care of this. And Jesus had the last word when he said, it is finished, it is accomplished. I did for you what you cannot do for yourself. And in that, there's a picture of new life. I'm not calling you today to be a better man. I'm calling you today to be a new man. Can't get better in terms of what you owe God. You can simply become a new man. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. 